Welcome to episode 86 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, budget, the spending episode. Does a budget truly limit us, or does it save us from stupid purchases we would make if we had unlimited resources? Today, you'll hear Josh and I work through budgeting decisions when it comes to backpacking gear. For today's Summit Gear Review, if you want easy access to 7 liters of M&Ms, we've got the perfect pack for you. Then, on today's Backpack Hack of the Week, 17 cents doesn't go very far in today's world. But on the trail, it gets you through another day. And we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Horace Kephart. All this and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. Heather, how do you feel about budgets? Budgets, yes. They strike fear into my heart. They make me sweat and they make me like have to fan myself with a piece of paper. It's really stressful. At the end of the month, you print out, you know, our monthly spending report, which is our budget, and we look at it and see how we did. So we review the budget and uh, and how we did in the previous month. And it's like a personal performance review right. of you. <laughs> right. Even though it's never... Like, you don't make it come off that way. You print it off and you're like, okay, I just want to look at the numbers. Let's look at it together. I I never get any sense like that you're disappointed in, you know, anything that I've done. But it's, it's a very stressful experience. And every time I stress out, you laugh. You think it's hilarious <laughs> that I'm so stressed out by budgets. And I know the word budget brings up feelings, at least for me, of like restraint and loss of freedom and no fun. And I think everyone, except for the U.S. government, has to deal with the real limitations of a budget. And maybe it's because I'm a business major or maybe it's because I'm an information management guy. I love having access to information and I feel more comfortable when I have the details, the data, the information in front of me. And so it's a totally different experience for me. The budget, if I go a month or two without looking at our expenses and our income, I get nervous. And as long as I look at our income and expenses on a regular basis, I'm more comfortable. It's just an interesting uh, dynamic, I guess, uh, between the two of us and, and really the, the world at large. Uh, there's just so many people who I think have the same emotions that you do about budgets. And I'm just one of those weirdos that has exactly the opposite um, experience with budgets. Because for me, the budget is permission rather than restriction. That's how I feel about it. So for example, we have a small portion of our budget set aside every month for recreation. And so I don't have to worry about can we afford it or not. Because we've budgeted it, that gives me permission to spend a little bit of money each month on recreation. If it wasn't in the budget or if we didn't have a budget, I'd probably never spend money on recreation. <laughs> Sad. Oh, I know. So I remember when we were first married, you know, I would say things like, well, is this something we can afford? And you would always say, let's look at the budget. 
Let's see what we have designated for that specific category. And you knew exactly how much we could afford for whatever it is that I wanted to do or buy. So there is some comfort in knowing that you have money specifically set aside for these certain things in your life. And backpacking is one of those things. We don't have a specific category for backpacking, but like Josh said, we do have a recreation budget. So this is money specifically set aside for doing fun stuff. Yeah, and that recreation budget is really small. It's like 40 bucks a month. I mean, it's it's enough to pay for uh, like a day pass at a state park or a few things like that. Pretty small stuff. Well, here's the thing. How many tents can you buy or backpacks or sleeping bags for $40? Like less than one? And so our backpacking expenditures end up getting allocated to different parts of our budget. That's <laughs> one of the tricks that we've used. I didn't really realize we were doing that trick until I went back and looked at the numbers last night. Really? And so a lot of our backpacking expenses go into clothing or they, they come out of the clothing budget. Okay, so if we don't spend all of our clothing budget for a month, but we buy some backpacking clothing, then it comes out of the clothing budget. Yeah, so say we had to buy some socks and some shirts or whatever that month, but we were also able to buy a wicking backpacking shirt or some hiking pants or a pair of hiking shoes. Okay, that doesn't come out of the recreation budget, it comes out of our clothing budget. That's what we've done. Okay, yeah. we're very clever. Yeah, we're very clever, yes. <laughs> and we pull a lot out of our household non-consumables budget. So, for example, when we bought our backpacks, you know, backpacks are non-consumable, right? They're right. durable goods. They last a while. And we took them out of our household non-consumables budget. <laughs> I don't know. We were probably pushing the line there a little. I think pushing the line would have been taking the money out of our transportation budget. Because backpacks, aren't they a form of like... I like that. Yeah? Yeah, we have an automotive category. So if we didn't spend any money on car repairs... Car repair. The backpack is getting you somewhere that you want to go. It's people-powered. Ah. Yes, yes. So you see how easy this is. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, last night I went through... It, so we record every one of our expenses and our income and have done that since we were first married. We're nerdy like that. Yeah, or at least I am. <laughs> I go along for the ride. <laughs> so we've got like 17 years of financial history down to the details, like what store, when, where, how much. Yeah, It's kind of fun to look at, though. For example, I noticed that uh, prior to our first 40-mile trip together that we did in the fall of 2014, I had gone five years without buying anything at REI. Hmm. And then all of a sudden, we spent like a thousand bucks at REI in just a few weeks. So anyway, I, I pulled all our REI purchases and then I had to look through all the other categories where we had we had stuffed our purchases and found, you know, a couple Amazon purchases and then a couple other random places where we had bought our backpacking gear prior to our first 40 miler. In the months leading up to that trip, the plan was I was going on the trip. It was just me with a bunch of other guys. And uh, my backpacking gear was so old and out of date that I knew that I would need to refresh pretty much everything I owned. And so over the course of a few months, I was picking up hiking shoes and a backpack and new clothing, you know, all the stuff I'd need. So up till a week before the trip, I had spent about $500 on backpacking gear. That was 200 for the pack. And then, you know, you throw in clothing and, and other things. And then that Saturday before 
you know, the Saturday one week before the trip started, that's when you got invited and you were like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And you had exactly one week to do all the preparation that I had spread over months. So yeah, leading up to a week before the trip, I had spent about $500, you know, with new gear for the trip. And then in the period of one week, we spent another $900. Whoa. Now don't feel bad because that wasn't all you. Really? Yeah, I continued to make some last minute purchases mm. uh, of my own. Uh, plus, I was going to borrow a tent from someone, and we decided, well, since we're both going, let's go buy a two-person tent. So you're saying we spent 1400 on preparation for that trip? Yeah. Just for you and me? Yeah, but after that trip, we had the gear. And so since that trip, we've really spent very little on backpacking gear for you and me. Just a few small purchases here and there. We have spent some on the kids initially because we wanted to get out backpacking with them. So we bought two more tents and we bought a couple additional sleeping bags. We didn't have quite enough. Oh, and some base layers and uh, other layers of clothing. Uh, we were able to find quite a bit at the thrift store, though. And so after that, the spending on really the entire family for backpacking has trickled off to be very little. And I would say, you know, when we go out on three or four nights of backpacking, how much would that cost if we did three or four nights with a family of six at a hotel? Oh, yeah. They won't even let our family into a, a room. Like, you can't have six people in a room anymore. You have to have two rooms. It's crazy. So, yeah, definitely. I feel like it was a great investment. We were able to put in that upfront investment, uh, but it's not the only way that you have to go about it. And not everything that we purchased was new, even for that very first trip. Like you said, we went to the thrift store and picked up stuff and um, did budget shopping online. And then after that, we've been able to kind of purchase things slowly. But even if you have zero backpacking gear, there are probably a lot of things in your closet that you could use for a backpacking trip to avoid making that huge lump purchase like we did a couple of years ago. So if you have a day pack or a large, large-ish backpack, that can be turned into something that you could wear on a really short, really low impact trip. And you could probably strap other gear to the outside of it. If you have a heavy tent, you can still bring the heavy tent. It just means that your trip is probably going to be a little bit shorter. You're going to stay closer to the trailhead. Uh, you can also bring a bulky sleeping bag. It's just not going to compress down as much. And you might have to leave some other gear at home that you may have brought so you can have room for the sleeping bag. You may have cotton clothing. That means you'll just need to plan your trips in the summertime where you know you're going to be in really warm weather. You want dry weather for cotton clothing. If you don't have a budget for the expensive freeze-dried foods, you know, we don't use the freeze-dried foods, there are lots of other budget options. And we'll talk about one of them in this episode today. You know, on my first backpacking trip, I didn't have hiking boots, so I just brought my running shoes. So there are lots of ways to just do with what you've got so you can at least get out there. And you're probably not going to be comfortable with all of this gear that you're kind of making do with. So it'll be a shorter trip closer to the trailhead, but you'll still be able to get out. And then you can slowly build up your gear. You don't have to buy it all in one big lump. One thing you said, this is maybe one of the greatest backpacking hacks, is that if you don't have all the ideal gear, go in the summertime. The weather's warm. You really don't even need a tent. You might get by with a blanket. You might not even need a sleeping bag. 
You don't need the really warm clothing. You probably don't even need to cook your meals. Just grab some snacks from the store and head out. So it's summertime. What are you doing this weekend? Well, we're going to stay on the topic of budgets here for a little bit as we move into our top five list. And we're going to share the top five ways that we've worked through budget decisions, especially as they apply to backpacking. And as they apply to us. This is kind of our personal top five list. Yeah, and you can take uh, what works for you. Yeah, because every, I mean, everyone has their own budget. Everyone has their own priorities. And every marriage or relationship has its own dynamics. And so this is just stuff that's worked for us. And take it or leave it. You can decide what works for you. But the number one way that we've worked through budget decisions is to actually set a budget. And as Josh said, a budget is awesome because it gives you permission to spend. And this is something that he has to keep drilling into me almost every single month, that a budget doesn't limit you. It actually gives you freedom or permission to spend the money that you've already set aside to spend. And one of the features of a budget is that money can roll over to the next month. So if you don't spend your recreation budget, you can always roll it over to the next month, but you can't take money from a future month. We try and be good about that. You can take money from other categories. You know, if you're buying a, a wicking shirt for backpacking, you don't have to take that out of the recreation category. You could take it out of the clothing category. Yeah. And we say, oh, you know, we overspent uh, this part of the budget by this much, but we underspent this other part of the budget by the same amount. We're good. Zero's The out. bottom line needs to be fairly close to zero. Yeah. Right. I know that some people use an envelope system where they actually put cash in an envelope. I tried that one month and we ended up losing like $200 cash. <laughs> We don't do the cash in an envelope method anymore. We just save all of our receipts and then Josh enters them into Microsoft Money. The second way we've worked through budget decisions is to be realistic about the features that we need in our backpacking gear. It's really easy to be dazzled by all the new, latest, greatest stuff, the, the new technologies that come out. Um, that's great stuff. But remember, like last week when we reviewed the Big Agnes Mountain Glow Tent, the Mountain Glow feature, the built-in LED lighting, is a $50 add-on. So you can get the same tent, but without the lights built in, you'll save $50. Yeah, when we reviewed the Sony RX100 camera that we bought, there have been four models of that camera, and each model is $100 more expensive than the previous model. Well, when you go from Model 1 to Model 4, you've doubled the price of the Sony RX100 camera. Now, you got a whole bunch of new features with that fourth model, but do you need them or not? Yeah, well, it's so easy, especially as new technologies emerge, to forget that backpackers from the olden days were out in the woods with a waxed canvas backpack, a loaf of crusty bread, and a canteen, and probably some kind of bedroll or something. But things were so much more primitive back then, and we look at all this gear that we could have now, and all the features that we could have, and we forget that it hasn't always been that way. That you can, you can still go out with really basic gear and have an incredible experience. And I have to add, there is nothing wrong with geeking out on features and creating a wish list. In fact, I do this on Amazon a lot, where I'll put things in my cart, or I'll put things on my wish list and just let them sit there. They just kind of simmer. And, you know, I'll go back and check a month later and I'm like, what? I wanted to buy that? 
just give yourself some time to decide if that item with those specific features are really what you want to spend your money on. The number three way that Josh and I have worked through budget decisions is if you're the one who's trying to persuade the other person that you need to make this purchase, try the long game. This is something that I feel has been one of Josh's tactics, (laughs) one of his skills, especially when we were buying the camera, because that was a big purchase. So when I say the long game, I mean patience. So when Josh talked about wanting to buy a camera, he wasn't pushy or demanding or impulsive. He took the time to show me some things in past photographs that we'd taken with our old camera that were bothering him. But then he didn't follow it up with, so I'm going to buy this camera tonight, okay? It was more like, this is something I'm still thinking about. So, you know, let me know if you have any input. And he kind of kept it going for a while. It wasn't like, we've got to get this right now. I think it was maybe two months, two or three months where you were like, it might be time to buy a new camera, but I can't decide. So I don't know if you did that intentionally, this long con or a <laughs> long game, but it worked. So Yeah. When we were interviewed last year on the Home Study podcast, uh, we joked about that <laughs> long con, <laughs> how, how I got you into backpacking through the long con. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, but we talked about how it, it really wasn't my intent. I was... Um, I was satisfied with being the one who went backpacking and was fine with the fact that you didn't go backpacking. It's just kind of the way things went as uh, as time went on. And I think it's the same thing with the camera. I just, I get this idea of, you know, maybe it's time to uh, get something better. And then I spend a lot of months researching it, which is the fourth way that we've worked through budget decisions, researching a lot. And I do this with almost everything that I purchase. So with the camera purchase, I researched a whole bunch of camera models. I looked at sample images taken with different cameras. I looked at all the specs. I looked at the prices. I looked at reviews from other owners. All of this, you know, and that was over the period of several months, like we said, to really become comfortable with what I thought would be the right purchase for us. And for me, it's important to really understand what the product is about, you know, behind the marketing layer. They may say, hey, it's awesome at this. Okay, but what actual technology makes it awesome at that? Like, what are the details? I always get into those details and and try to figure all that out. However, here's my dilemma. I often run into that time is money dilemma. I can spend an hour deciding which USB cable to purchase. And I might find a good cable that's a dollar less than another good cable. And so with that hour of research, (laughs) I saved myself a dollar on a good USB cable. So I'm one of those that I have a hard time figuring out where to draw the line and where to make the cut and say, okay, I've done enough research. I need to just go ahead and stop wasting my time doing more research. Research is so much fun, though. It is. Yeah, you do have to come to a point where you just make the purchase. And the fifth way that we've worked through our budget decisions is by doing a ton of price searching. So a lot of times when we're buying something, we'll look online 
We'll look at local retailers. We'll look at the benefits of buying new versus used or even refurbished, which is a really great option because a lot of times it's factory refurbished. So you get something that's practically new. And a lot of times it comes with a warranty or some kind of protection from the company. Here's where I usually go when I do price comparisons. I'll go to Google product search and see what the cheapest price is there. Now, remember that sellers pay to have their products listed in Google product search. So you won't always find the best price there, but sometimes you do. Uh, I'll go to Amazon, where it's not only stuff that Amazon is selling, but it's also stuff that is through the Amazon marketplace. Other people are selling it using Amazon's platform. Uh, I'll usually go to eBay. And uh, on eBay, I usually just go to the buy it now listings because... I don't know. I don't have the time to watch and follow the auctions, but I can check the buy it now listings. I can check for stuff that's new or refurbished or like new and get a good price there sometimes. And then straight to a manufacturer's website uh, or to local retailers in the area. We've never purchased anything off of Craigslist for backpacking gear. The reason I haven't is because it's backwards to my approach for shopping. See, my personal approach for shopping is I decide what I need, and once I have a need, then I start shopping for that need. And so on Craigslist, it's going to be a roll of the dice that I'm going to check Craigslist needing a specific item. I've already decided exactly what manufacturer and model and everything, and then for someone to have just happened to have posted that very thing on Craigslist. You know, at Craigslist is more of the model of you browse Craigslist and you don't know what you want, and then something pops up and you go, ooh, I want that which uh, is kind of the opposite of everything we talked about today, of deciding what you need first and then going and finding it. So even if the word budget brings sweat to your skin, I am still just such a firm believer that you should have a budget. It gives you freedom to buy the things that you want to purchase, and it provides this framework for ensuring that you don't get in over your head financially. And then the other things we, we covered today in this top five list, be realistic about the features that you need, be patient and take the long approach to purchases, do your research and shop around for prices. <laughs> and now Heather is going to cool herself off as we move on to a non-budgeting topic. <laughs> I'm all hot and sweaty. It's okay. For today's Summit Gear Review, we will be reviewing their ribs front pack. And if you've ever been hiking down the trail and you think, I should stop and grab my camera, or I should stop and get a snack, but you just don't want the hassle of stopping and unbuckling and then hoisting your pack to the ground and then having to heave it back up again, this ribs front pack might be a really great solution for you. And it's really cool. It's kind of like almost like a life vest and then you have all of the storage space, kind of where your rib cage is, and you can put everything that you want easy access to right on the front of you. And let me just say, it's not in a fanny pack kind of way, like it's not worn down on your abdomen. It's worn further up because you can still wear it with a pack. So you want to be able to have room down on your hips to secure your hip belt, and then you want the ribs front pack to be a little bit further up uh, so it's not in the way of your hip belt. So the ribs front pack is made of Cordura nylon, so it's really durable. There are two main pouches. There's one on the left and one on the right. And the main pouch on the left and on the right is pretty good size. So it's large enough to fit the Merck Manual of Medical Information, second home edition. 
That was the perfect fit. <laughs> I pulled it off the shelf and stuck it right in. You know, when we're trying to give people a reference for how how big something is, you went kind of literal with that, didn't you? <laughs> um, well, I couldn't find any food that fit perfectly. I guess you could stick a box of Triscuits in there. That sounds about right. Okay. It's the size of a box. So you could put two boxes of Triscuits in your ribs front pack. Um, well, inside of each of these two main pouches are two mesh pockets. So you'll end up with four mesh pockets. On the front of each of these two main pockets are smaller zippered pouches. So that is where you would put your point and shoot camera. So I mentioned that you put on the ribs front pack kind of like a life vest. So the back has crossing shoulder straps. You have these shoulder straps that come up over your shoulders and they're wide and padded and that helps transfer the weight of what you're carrying in the ribs front pack and it gives it a really comfortable carry too. As far as utility goes, we mentioned that you put it on like a life jacket and it zips in the front like a life jacket. The ribs front pack is a standalone pack. So it doesn't attach to any pack. You can wear it on its own. In fact, if you've been looking for an alternative to the fanny pack, this is probably something that you should look into. It's worn higher and closer to your torso, so it won't give you that slumpy, poochy look. The ribs front pack is large enough to hold your camera, maps, sunglasses, snacks, notebook and pencil, medications, batteries, just all of those things that you always stop to take off your pack to get access to. You have them all right on the front of you now, which is really convenient. For mass, the front pack weighs 12 ounces and the small and medium will hold about seven liters and the large and extra large will hold about 11 liters. So you can think of it as a seven liter storage for M&Ms. I think that'd be awesome to hike down the trail. With, with seven liters of M&Ms? Yes. You could have like peanut M&Ms in one side almond M&M's in the other side. <laughs> and if you so spring cool. a leak, you'll leave this trail for like a mile. <laughs> Ribs recommends that before you put this pack on, you'll want to load it up and then adjust the straps. And the Ribs front pack is completely adjustable so you can get a really nice fit. And that's especially important because for the most part, you'll be wearing this with your backpack. So you'll put on the ribs and then you'll put the backpack over the ribs. And this is also great if you're going to be doing like little day hikes. This is going to be the perfect size to hold your gear that you'll want to take with you on a little side trip. For cleaning, hand wash, and air dry. As far as investment goes, the ribs front pack is $65 and it has a one-year warranty period. And if anything goes wrong in that one-year period, they'll either repair the part that's broken or they'll replace it. When I tried on the ribs front pack for the first time, I had to kind of fiddle with the straps a little bit. They were all kind of twisted up. I mean, a, a backpack is very stable in terms of its straps. Like the, the two shoulder straps are just always right there on the backpack. And the two hip belt straps are just right there. And on the ribs front pack, because it's segmented into two pieces that you zip together after you put it on, it means that uh, when, when it's off, these straps can kind of get twisted. The, the straps that crisscross uh, over your shoulders and on your back. And so it took me a few minutes of kind of fiddling with it. In fact, I handed it to you and you straightened out <laughs> all the straps and said, okay, here's how it's supposed to look. And then I was able to put it on kind of a life jacket style and get it zipped up. So I suppose that's probably just a first time user kind of thing because you had it figured out. It was easy for you, just not for me the first time. <laughs> Uh, the, the other thing that was a little awkward for me, you know, I, I had it on and then I tried putting on a pack 
to uh, kind of double check whether I could in fact wear the ribs with a backpack on. And I have fairly high hips, short torso, and long arms. <laughs> You're making yourself sound like, <laughs> like a circus freak. <laughs> <laughs> Not that extreme. <laughs> uh, so I wore the ribs maybe a little bit lower and that felt about right. But when I put the backpack on, I had to cinch up the shoulder straps on the ribs and get them up higher onto my chest so that there was room for the hip belt of the pack to be below the ribs, below the ribs front pack, not, I mean, it's definitely below my own ribs. (laughs) (laughs) And once the ribs pack was that high on my chest, maybe it's because of my long arms, it felt rather awkward to me. I felt like a chipmunk, maybe, trying to access the pouches of the ribs front pack. I just felt like, you know, like my elbows were completely bent 180 degrees so that I could reach to the front pack. And and so once I get to that sort of position, it's like, well, is this really any less awkward than simply taking off my pack and being able to reach my long arms into my pack? I don't know. I felt like Well, I feel like when I'm on the trail, the last thing I want to do is take off my pack. Like that's just just an ordeal because I have to unclip this, unbuckle this, undo this, loosen this, take it off and then unlatch this, unlatch this, lift. There's like a whole song and dance that goes getting stuff out of your pack. And then, you know, while you're doing that, everyone is hiking on ahead and you just feel like you're being left behind. So even though, you know, it may be in a a position on your body that's meant more for a Tyrannosaurus Rex, (laughs) you know, it'd be helpful to have those little short arms. I still would rather have that access in the front than have to go through the whole little ordeal of taking off my pack. Something else that I think is useful about this pack is that it can turn your day pack into maybe an overnight pack. You know, if all you have is a day pack, you could load that up with your tent, sleeping bag, pad, and then fit the rest of your stuff into the ribs front pack so that it kind of is like a stopgap piece of gear. You know, if you're not ready to buy a full-size backpack, then this is something that you could buy and use it with your day pack. So then you have room for your food, your 10 essentials, a camera, and a quarter roll of toilet paper. And that's probably about all you need. I also like that it's a separate piece of gear that can be worn completely independently from a pack so that you don't have this thing that you're attaching onto your pack. It's just separate. It gives you a little more freedom that way. And if you bring it on a backpacking trip, then you can use it like a summit pack, you know, a pack for doing a side trip. Right. It's going to have enough room for snacks and water and 10 essentials, you know, a little extra clothing. And uh, and then when you're on the trail backpacking, you can kind of switch the configuration around and, and have what you want for backpacking. So I think the ribs front pack meets a need. It can help you balance out your load. It's comfortable, and I think it's a great way to conveniently access the things that you use most on the trail. For today's backpack hack of the week, 17-cent dinner. We're coming back around to budgets, and we all know that we can buy a $9 freeze-dried meal for dinner. Or maybe two freeze-dried meals to get enough calories for dinner. And now we've spent at least as much as we would have spent going to a restaurant. And I I think sometimes, sometimes that might stop people from going backpacking. Because they might think that it's going to cost a lot because of the food that they have to buy. And so this hack is really simple and obvious. But it's really to make a point 
that you don't have to spend a lot of money on your backpacking food. So for 17 cents, you can get chicken top ramen, and it comes in at 380 calories for one package. It weighs 3.2 ounces, gives you 10 grams of protein, and 76% of your daily value of sodium. Yeah, I mean, where else are you going to find that much sodium? Like, wow, all you got to do is eat one and a half of these and you are set. <laughs> You're good to go. Well, what I love about Top Ramen is that it can be easily doctored up. So you can bring things like peanut butter, chili sauce, sesame oil, and even lime zest or that true lime powder. And you can turn Top Ramen, which is one of the most basic meals, into something that's maybe a little bit I want to use the word exotic, but it just doesn't seem right. <laughs> a little bit less bland. <laughs> it's true. You can make it interesting with just a few mix-ins. Top ramen isn't something that we eat a lot of at our house. If you're already eating healthy at home, then eating top ramen on the trail isn't going to totally tank your health. So th that's how we justify it, I guess. Yeah, about a month ago, we had an episode where we talked about risk. And <laughs> <laughs> you know how... Like someone might go, at the the very example I gave was that someone could go eat fast food every day for lunch and not even consider the risk that they were presenting themselves to. And now here we are advising people to eat top ramen. <laughs> <laughs> but the difference is, like you say, this is not something we eat every day, every meal. Uh, it's going to be okay once in a while. You're going to get the calories. Uh, you're going to use those calories on your backpacking trip. You're probably going to get more of your vitamins and minerals uh, the day before this when you eat a nice meal at home and the day after this when you eat another nice meal at home. <laughs> but this will keep you fueled. For sure. And maybe I can offer maybe just a couple mods on your hack. Uh, you said this is a 17 cent dinner, but it comes in at 380 calories. So I might say, you know, maybe it's more like a 50 cent dinner. You might bring three packages of Top Ramen to get yourself up to the thousand calorie mark for a dinner anyway. Uh, which would put you way up there for sodium, like 200% of your daily allowance of sodium. Now, to some extent, that may be okay because if you're backpacking, you might be sweating more and you're going to lose sodium through sweating. But do you think you could maybe, I, I mean, I'm sure that most of the sodium is in the, the packet. flavor packet. Yeah. So if you could maybe use two flavor packets for three oh, yeah. top ramen pouches, then you wouldn't go too far over on right. your sodium. Yeah. Then you add those other mix-ins that you mentioned to bring more flavor to it. You know, I just thought of another mix-in too. Um, usually in grocery stores, they have nori seaweed. And so you could cut that into strips. You could probably just add that into your top ramen and make it maybe a little more authentic and a lot healthier. It's super light and packed with nutrients. So that's a great mix-in. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Horace Kephart. He said, It is one of the blessings of wilderness life that it shows us how few things we need in order to be perfectly happy. And on that note, <laughs> over the past year or so, some of our listeners have said that what they really need is a t-shirt that says the first 40 miles. We have two t-shirts available now that have the first 40 miles logo, a men's t-shirt, a women's t-shirt. These are backpacking t-shirts. So, you know, moisture wicking, quick dry, all of that. So if you've just been dying to have a t-shirt that has your favorite podcast on it, finally, we've made them available. And so if you just go to thefirst40miles.com slash 
shop, you can find the t-shirt right there. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, then get outside or start planning your next adventure. We'll see you next time on the first 40 miles. stuff but we should yeah uh, fun stuff really oh I love... <laughs> i'm sweating already josh really like i'm sweating this is so stressful okay where was that sentence going <laughs> your mom wears fanny packs <laughs> yeah she does <laughs> <laughs>